I'm Lisa Bryant. I'm Leanne Gibbs. And I'm Liam McNicholas. And this is the Early Education Show. A fortnightly look at the policy, politics and practice of Australia's early education sector. The COVID-19 situation remains the biggest issue facing Australia's early education sector. Although, as we speak, the government is saying that early education services should remain open to support the economy, children are leaving services in droves. It seems likely that at some point services will be directed to close. What does this mean for young children and their learning? What does remote learning look like in the early years? How can we stay connected to children and families during a period of isolation? To help us discuss all this, and probably more, we have two extra special guests. Joe Grimmond and Martha Johnson are both part of the University of Wollongong's Early Start team. Joe is a member of the engagement team, while Martha is the manager of education experiences at the Early Start Discovery Space. Joe and Martha, welcome to the Early Education Show. Thanks, Thanks. very much. Thanks for having us. It's very exciting to have you on. Now, we should say, for people who are regular, regular listeners of the show, they may have expected, given everything that's happening sort of in the political and advocacy space, that this episode might have been a big episode on that. That episode is coming, no doubt. Um, the, I think the problem is that things are changing so quickly. But we wanted to actually dedicate, because we're doing extra episodes at the moment, we wanted to dedicate this episode to something with a maybe a bit of a more positive spin. We wanted to look at some of the good and innovative things that are happening in the sector. But we also wanted to tackle something that is maybe something that is happening down the track. So maybe, to be honest, this is just helping me feel a bit prepared when we're having to uh, respond to stuff on a day-to-day basis in my current job. So this feels like something I can control. So that's basically why we're doing this. But do not worry. If yelling at the government is your thing, we will no doubt have an episode on that very, very soon. Um, But before we go to Joe and Martha, Leanne, I might actually turn to you first. Are you, given your uh, connection to University of Wollongong early start and um, the fact that you get to work with both Joe and Martha, Leanne, firstly, I like that you've done what I do, which is drag your colleagues onto this podcast against their will. It's just a wonderful thing. I do that to people in Northside all the time. But why don't you tell us a bit about Early Start? I will. And I am pretty new to Early Start, Liam. So uh, this is me sort of spouting forth about how wonderful Early Start is, which it is. And um, perhaps Martha and Joe can correct me when I make a mistake. So um, Early Start is an entity of of the University of Wollongong and it was established probably around 2015. I know that I was at Community Childcare when it was um, established and it has four four parts to it essentially. It has the discovery space which um, Martha leads and that is a beautiful learning and discovery space for young children. A research um, pillar, a research institute which is run by Tony Oakley and uh, is doing some amazing across um, early childhood education in all sorts of domains. And that that is, uh, I think there's about 65 um, PhD students. So that's a bit of a powerhouse there. The engagement centres, which Joe is a part of um, in terms of working with uh, some services in the community. We've got 39 services in that network and that's giving support for um, workforce and quality development in quite isolated and regional and remote areas. And then translation, which uh, Mark Rone leads. So we've got this um, extraordinary sort of group of people and our CEO, Anita Kumar, is uh, leading us in this great uh, endeavour in early childhood education, but all of those things are contributing to uh, a space 
that's all coming together for children. So no matter what, and particularly in regional and remote um, areas. So there's lots and lots of stuff happening in Early Start. And I think that it's great having Joe and Martha here tonight to talk a little bit about some of the work that they're doing, particularly in the in this, you know, in these current times. So that's, and I, I've only been there for three weeks, I think it is. And my new role is, um, uh, leading the uh, engagement centres and the translation work with Mark in a different part of that area. So pretty exciting. I'm excited about my job. <laughs> it does sound like <laughs> it does sound like a lot of fun. Well, um, Martha and Joe, it might be great to hear from from both of you uh, individually about the work you do. Joe, did you want to tell us a bit more about the engagement team and what you're working on? Okay, so um, so I'm as Leanne um, introduced me as part of the engagement team. And um, so I have a designated um, a number of services that I work um, individually with and support in any area that um, that they they want really. We um, and and obviously in this this time that we're in, um, hopefully we can um, narrow our our focus a little bit to support them in this area and. and help them navigate these times as we are all navigating these times um, together we're all in, in in it together and I'm sure you've heard that a million times um, so yeah so it's I've only been there at early start just a little bit before Leanne um, so I'm also establishing um, some lovely relationships with services um, and hoping to support them um, yeah in whichever whichever direction they want they want to go really that's great, Jade. Um, yeah, yeah. That, I know we'll um, we'll be picking up on some of those points as we as we go along. But Martha, does that make you the old hand? So it sounds like Leanne and Joe are both pretty new. Are you the sort of uh, you're, you're the expert? <laughs> yeah, I'm now, the old you? dog. <laughs> <laughs> well, Martha, but you yeah, have one of the so, best titles um, I've seen in the sector, which is manager of education experiences <laughs> at the Early Start Discovery Space. I, I I mean, I want that job. Correct. So we might have to talk about that after <laughs> after the podcast. But why don't you why don't you tell us a bit about the Discovery Space and what you do there? Sure. So, yes, I have been there since the beginning, um, before we just opened the Discovery Space. Um, the Discovery Space is a children's museum and it's for the general public and our audience are uh, usually birth to 10-year-old um, children and they come with their adults. So we try and make uh, experiences rather than exhibits, which you might think of if you go to, say, a science centre or a, something like Questicon, that we, they're more exhibits where you touch and and something happens and then you come back and you touch it and then the same thing happens. We call them uh, experiences because every time you come into that space, you learn something new or you're discovering something new or you might be with someone different. And so the play is, again, enhanced or different every time you come. And so we have a range of these uh, experiences throughout the discovery space. And um, they, you know, touch on different points um, within the curriculum and the EYLF. Uh, and essentially, it's kind of like trying to get the children to think about uh, professions or maybe an area of interest that they might like to go to uh, when they grow up. Um, but it's it's essentially a place for play. And so we try and make that play both for the children and the adults. We want them to do that play together rather than just being for the children um, because I think it's nice to let adults play as well. And sometimes they forget they forget how to play. And so by having this space, it allows them that opportunity to, to get back into playing as well. 
Um, we're open for school groups as well. So preschoolers um, or primary schools can come in and do their excursions uh, at the space as well. And so I guess my role is actually coming up with those experiences and I lead the um, education team who um, are doing the everyday programs uh, on the floor, workshops and holiday programs um, and the like. So there's a whole range of things that goes on at the discovery space. Um, but of course, unfortunately, at this time, we did have to uh, close our doors, which was which was sad. Um, but we're hoping that we'll be able to open them up again uh, in the near future. But um, for now, what we're doing is taking our discovery space online uh, and we've recorded a few things whilst in the space and now we're going to be doing some more from the home which will be an interesting take <laughs> absolutely well firstly everyone's clearly having far too much fun at uow early start so leanne <laughs> you might need to get onto that there's too much I don't, it doesn't sound like much work's happening it's all being it's all it's all having too much fun but that um, is a perfect segue i guess to the i guess the main point of the discussion tonight so we we're kind of staring down the barrel of the sector as of, of services closing and educators and professionals and leaders starting to consider what do our relationships with children and families and even our fellow educators look like when we potentially have children that can't access our physical service spaces so um, and I guess this is going to be tricky with four of us but maybe Joe I might come to you maybe first to answer sure. but then we'll leap in as we go um, in terms of some of the work you're doing but how how do you think we can we can continue to build relationships with children and families even though that's not face-to-face -face necessarily anymore well I think um, we have been presented a very unique opportunity to to um, actually put it that way and and um, certainly positive spin on it is we have an opportunity to use, um, to be creative, to be innovative, um, so that we can build and foster some ongoing relationships with families through the use potentially of technology. So, um, yes, and I've been looking a little bit into this um, lately and how, how educators can potentially use technology as a tool to um, to build and foster and strengthen strengthen those relationships with families in their own home learning environment, give them some ideas potentially, um, advocate for share their expertise as an early childhood professional, um, and at the same time advocate for the importance of this critical time in a child's life and development. So I think I think it's a really positive, unique opportunity to um, to use potentially grow and develop and strengthen and foster relationships that we already have with with families but just deepen them because so Joe, um, potentially so how we can connect oh, sorry, sorry. There's, there's going to be too many of us on asking <laughs> questions because we're curious um but if the foundation for all our our learning and our our development with children is relationships mm -hmm. and so much of that has been close relationships face to face and now we might be talking through this medium that we're not super comfortable with as well. So, well, how, what sorts of things do we need to sort of think about there when we're building those relationships with, with children online and with families? Because it's kind of a new relationship, isn't it? It is a new relationship. And it's my motto um, and has been all as an educator as well when I, back in the day when I I was actually an educator at an engagement centre and we, we were, um, you know, presented with a, a, a lot of technology and not exactly the knowledge of how to use it. My motto has always been to have a go. 
and you never know what you can find and what you can create through the use of technology. So in 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 this time um, that we're going through and navigating through um, at the moment, we could potentially use some really simple tools to engage with families, like for example, Zoom or video conferencing. Um, you know, tools that we can use to connect live in in real time with families, as well as um, centres are also using Facebook as a medium for, um, you know, videoing, videoing stories, videoing practice, and then um, posting to Facebook, much the similar to what they've been doing anyway when they've got children at their services, but it's just another unique opportunity to really um, engage through technology in the spacing and engage with the families and involve the families in the children's learning. So really fostering that home learning environment. I think I hope I hope I've answered that question. <laughs> yes, I'll, I'll I'll stand back and let the others have a go because I'll just keep asking questions. Yes. <laughs> so Martha, what 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 are you kind of thinking of? Because you've in, in your introduction, you sort of mentioned that you've already started to think about how the closure of your physical space, what that what that's meant for your work. Um, you know, how is that? In particularly thinking about those relationships with the children and families, how are you? Um, thinking that services can start to to think about those differently. Yeah, it's it's certainly a. Um, I think as Joe said, it's a time to really think outside the box and get creative. Um, so what we've sort of done is started to do some of those videos or the activities that we do online. But the the biggest thing about us is we're all hands on and we're interactive. And so by taking it online, you do lose a bit of that. But our hope is that. Um, we've kind of made a few uh, kind of categories, if you will. So like we'll have a skill-based um, activity where we're teaching the children a skill um, that they could then get involved in and learn with us during like, so it's whilst we're not interactive in terms of um, they can interject and whatnot, it's still a static thing, but they can follow along with us and go along. The other one that we're doing is like a challenge where we might say, hey, here's, here's um, a how, how can you make something with you know 20 blocks of squares of lego um to create a dinosaur or um here's some clay this is how i'm going to make some different animals um or, or these are some techniques that i use to roll and and make sausages and balls and and when we put pcs together we can make different animals so it's while it's not totally interactive it still has those elements of interactive and then we can ask the children to post photos or comments about what they want to see or to show evidence that they have gone away and done it and, and come back with something good. Um, we are toying with an idea of actually booking in a session where um, it could become more like a um, like a Skype session or a Google Hangout where you can actually just have that one-on-one -on -one with the educator and the family or if they've got, you know, children as well. Because I think that's one thing that we will both the children and the educators I think are missing is that connection back with the children. So even though we're a public space in terms of people come and go, we do get a lot of regular members who um, 
who come on the weekly or fortnightly or whatnot. And we do build those relationships up with those children and to not see them in a week or, or two weeks is kind of like, it's, it's, it does start to affect um, the staff. And, and I'm so, sure the children also miss coming to the discovery space too. So in a similar way with um, what Joe was saying, I think educators can try and do those types of activities where I mean, it's hard because you want to obviously be across it for all of your children in the services and there's lots of children to get onto and you can't necessarily have the time to do that one-on-one. But even if it was one-on-one once a week um, and, you know, you could get maybe through a couple and then or every fortnight you'd get to touch base with them. But having those other ideas of interaction where you may not actually be interacting with the child but the child feels like that they are um, being spoken to specifically and, and they have a chance to respond and upload their video or their picture of them doing the activity, I think is important. And to then have that, you know, conversation back and forth. So if the educator puts up a up a post or a or a, uh, a story of them doing the story and then the comment comes through from a child saying, oh, I liked when this happened in the story. And then having that next level of feedback to say, yeah, that was a great time. What, oh, well, I actually liked this part of the story. Or, you know, and you keep that conversation going, I think is important too. Wonderful. That's some great, great things there. Um, Leanne, I might turn maybe to you now. So we, we heard a lot there about a lot of the technology that's available for, for services and professionals. I think, you know, it's kind of lucky this this uh, pandemic happened in 2020 because we have more uh, video conferencing <laughs> software than we know, than we know yeah. what to do with, whether it's all uh, perfect or not. But um, Leanne, for you, you know, what, what do you think educators, um, one of the things I think we've maybe been victims of at the sector is we leap on the newest fad before maybe critical affecting. I've sort of been on the record on the podcast my, myself about my concerns with some of the documentation software apps. But, you know, what do you think educators need to think about when they're communicating with children online? Because this is particularly for children under the age of five. This is a bit of an untested space, isn't it? Yeah, and I, I think I think um, that what, what educators need to get into that thinking space is what do I do every day with children that I need to take online? So what are the sorts of things that I need to be thinking about? And I, I would think some of the things when people are communicating are as basic as, as how am I using my body in this space? How am I using my voice? How am I talking with children and providing that sort of rhythm of, of talk and the, the um, you know, that serve and return that we like to talk about as well. Martha just spoke a little bit about that then, but speaking and giving children the opportunity to communicate and and we're still asking those questions, we're still challenging thinking through inquiry-based learning. So I think that um, this is the, the thinking has to be, what would this be like in the live space? And then how can I can I translate this? Um, my pedagogical practice to an online space. And that, I think, is needs some more thinking, not just sort of going on and doing it straight away. It's it's all about thinking that through and what are the considerations that we need to make there. And, yeah, I would just – I think that's a great team um, experience together. I remember last week we were talking about what's a good thing to do at this time together? And I said action research, which I know Liam loves me talking about. <laughs> but I would <laughs> – I would just say, you know what, forget the action research. That's gone. It's too much is happening. How about um, getting together as a team and talking about how this experience for children is uh, online is 
similar to the one that they can have face-to-face? How can we make that connection? And what are the sorts of things that we need to do and think about in our own teaching, our own communication? Absolutely. It's kind of, it's really interesting for me hearing you guys talk and I've kind of been stepping back a bit. Here we go, I'm not a teacher, I'm not an educator. (laughs) Yeah, that one. But but it also, I just want to go, huh? Let me tell you, and this is a kind of personal thing, but I'll tell you about something that happened in my family today. My daughter, as many listeners know, has a brain injury. And she had her first teletherapy um, appointment. And we, you know, they use Zoom or actually it wasn't Zoom, it was some medical kind of one. But, you know, we just pressed pressed a link and there was her therapist and he's saying, hello, you know, how are you, et cetera. And she's just got this smile from ear to ear on her face, right, because... Instead of just looking at my face, which is, you know, or one of her carers' faces, and they're the only faces she's seen, it was someone from her world. Now, I'd say, you know, um, her cognition of what's actually happening with COVID is probably about the same as a lot of the children in the age space we're working with. And so she doesn't fully understand why she can't see these people that are normally very much a part of her life or if she'll ever see them again. And so that simple act of being able to see the person but not just see them, interact with him, to have a discussion with him was what made all the difference. So it wasn't just like seeing a video of... um, him suggesting things for her to do and then her going away and doing her them in her own time because that would have been really static. It was much more about, you know, having the interaction. And when you say, you know, look, we can, you know, probably can't do that with, you know, every um, child in a group, that's true, but we can... You know, we can set up small Zoom groups or small Microsoft team groups with five children in them and interact with them exactly as if it's a classroom. We can give them things to do in real time. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of a little bit worried because I'm seeing lots of wonderful things educators are putting out, really good stories and dances and morning group times, etc. but it's broadcasting. It's broadcasting yeah. in the same way as this. This is a broadcast. Yeah. And so I'd just like to ask, am I on the wrong track here or, you know? No, not at you... all. And I think no, that I, is, agree. I yeah, agree. Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. And I think yeah. that's the that's kind of what the, our starting point that we had tonight mm-hmm. was about how we continue those relationships and how we, how we um, just connect up because it is about, it is about that relationship that you – um, have with with the children, and you are continuing that. But that I, I and I agree, Lisa. It is this kind of you know let, let's get together in a space and and all, all of those um, sort of elements. But it probably has to progress as well if this yeah. is going to be something that we do. Um, yeah, I, I'd yeah, be interested definitely. to hear what Joe and Martha think about that. Yeah, definitely. I'm I'm nodding. I'm nodding constantly. <laughs> I was nodding constantly to Lisa as well. Um, 
I think I think it's a really unique, like I keep going back to that word unique, but I think it's we really need to embrace this opportunity to um, to really use a platform via technology, potentially in real time, because I love the idea of actually um, the live the live feed through um, video conferencing um, software with children or small groups or even one-on-one. I love it too um, in that we're actually – we have an opportunity to model really quality practice and pedagogy in with families as well and give them ideas about what to do with their children at home when we're not there. Um, so giving them ideas about questioning that they can use to um, inspire some inquiry-based learning – um, you know, so how to scaffold learning, things like that, that we can just model through our interactions with the children. Um, and I think it's a matter of just trying to break through that, um, the screen of that technology barrier. Um, and I think we will do that as we become more practised in it and more versed in it. But um, I think it's a matter of breaking that barrier down and just, um, just then sort of immersing ourselves in the situation with the child or the, the group of children that we're working with, mm. however we, you know, normally do it in um, in a centre environment, but just seeing, you know, breaking that barrier down um, and pretending that we're actually there with the, the children as well and fostering those relationships, but also using the opportunity to advocate for what we do and model a lot of practice and pedagogy that we do and being aware yeah. of what we do as well. Being aware of, of um, our practice and pedagogy, always being aware of keeping that hat on and making sure that we're really aware of, um, you know, using open-ended questioning, um, encouraging inquiry-based learning and things like that, being creative with the children and having a go with the children as with the child or children as well um, and not being afraid to have a go and be creative with it. Yeah, that's what I think. Yeah, I, I agree. And I also um, take Lisa's point in terms of... Um, the, it can be done if you had the small groups even or whatever, but it has to be as well that we do come back to them. So rather than just having that one-off with those four children or yeah. five children, whoever it is, I think it's really important to then have that come back to work it out, to give the feedback or to find out where they're at now. Um, so, and again, that routine and regularity as well is important. But I think, um, Joe, you touched on a good point there about giving people ideas. So yeah. even I know... Um, Leanne, you got asked a question this morning, today about um, whether, you know, watching kids' TV shows are allowed and screen time and that type of thing. But, I mean, a favourite um, kids' show in this household, in my household, is Bluey. And um, and I don't even have any kids, so that's just me. Um, but <laughs> I, um, I think that it's a great show because it just shows how the parents get involved in the play of the two um girls or two dogs and um and it gives children ideas i had a, a friend of mine who said her uh, kids played all day um replicating what bluey had been doing that day so that you know blue went round on a train and saw the vets and the um and the play uh, was it dropping off their child at daycare actually and and um another a cafe and so they took turns but they turned the whole house into this mini city and and you know that sparked from a six minute tv show that they saw at eight o'clock that morning so i think i think whilst 
if, if, if possible, absolutely, we should have those one-on-one -on -one real engagements with the children. But if it can't be done or it's limiting, to just be creative in our ideas or in our what we give so that it then sparks further ideas for those children to engage with or for parents to help uh, foster that play, I think is important as well. So it doesn't, it doesn't have to be a 20-minute story time. It could just mm. be a simple activity or, or a thinking point, which then mm. makes that child go, oh, I'm going to do that, you know? Mm. Yep. I think there's some great things there. Um, you know, as, a, as an early childhood teacher myself, what I've been thinking about, and I don't work directly with children anymore, but what I've been thinking about in terms of the teams I work with is um, what I always do is I think you have to start with the early years learning framework and you have to start with the idea of play-based learning. So if we look yeah. at um, those, you know, the outcomes of the early years learning framework, you know, having a strong sense of identity, being a competent and capable communicator um, and a strong sense of well-being, you know, none of those outcomes are unachievable in terms of from a teaching perspective um, remotely. I think it's, it's, more, it's more just about being how, how, how can we explore those things with you and particularly you know even if you just spend a bit of time digging into that sense of identity which I was talking with an educator about today you know children's will be children's identities at this point in time are going to be formed by this really dramatic experience we are all going through right now so what that means for children as they grow older um, but also just for now that this really strange thing is happening and they're stuck at home with their boring parents like my children are um, you know and being having getting various lectures about screen time and the amount of bluey that is acceptable and is not acceptable uh, you know the, we are the, you know we are right in the middle of this great sort of exploration of a sense of identity so there's no reason we can't use different methods of exploring that and then for me that that you know bringing that back to play-based learning which is the way we support children to come through those learning outcomes um, or move towards those learning outcomes is really thinking is there a capacity with this technology to use it for play i think there is and i think we can be pretty innovative around um what yeah. that means and how can and you know play is about interactivity and it is about the the serve and return that's happening so i i and one of the reasons I think we wanted to do this episode and not a big advocacy yelling episode, although, again, that one's coming, people, I promise. Um, I will have my ranty voice on, was when <laughs> I've, been, I've been seeing educators and teachers and professionals already doing really innovative stuff. We posted the question um, on Facebook yesterday that we were recording this episode on Tuesday night. And it's just amazing seeing what people are already doing. I think, you know, educators and, and professionals and teachers are so, uh, you know, they're, they're already moving ahead with this. They're already doing some really innovative and amazing things some of them might not work some of them will but it is it's been really i think there's an optimistic part of this episode in particular which is saying you know we can't we, we you know kind of we got this we can do this and we can try some different things but for <laughs> me you know if we look at how can we engage with those learning outcomes through this slightly different different way of doing it but how can we use the technology for play which is the difference i think between that broadcasting and and communication which is a big point We're, we're amazing adapters and innovators. Yes. That's the thing. And also, we, in some ways, we've um, in the sector we've resisted technology, and now we cannot. It's not even possible. And I know Lisa's often talked about the technology aspects um, for um, early childhood educators. So you must have a few thoughts, Lisa. Uh, look, part of the problem is is that everyone in our sector is so old. 
Well, not everyone, but a lot of people are. So they're really scared of technology. Just when we ha- we hand over the mic to her and look what she does. <laughs> no, look, I, you know, I think that they're, one of the things that I just want to assure those people that are scared is that some of these programs are idiot-proof. And I suppose I'd really like to push both Zoom and Microsoft Teams because they really fit the the category of things that you can use if you're not technologically advanced at all. You know, you just have to kind of like click on a link or send a link and then you're all connected and it's... And, you know, I taught my 70-year-old um, sister how to do it last week and if I can teach her, any educator can run rings around it. This is maybe the time to draw on the knowledge of um, the more savvy members, and I'm not going to be ageist about that, but the more savvy (laughs) members of the community who um, can do this stuff, and it's their time to shine. (laughs) Are you all looking at me now? (laughs) (laughs) um, I I am actually 22, Martha, um, and I'm very uh, young youthful technology user but there's other sorts of um stuff that we can use in technology as well did we get any recommendations on those things Liam? we did well we had from the, uh, from... yeah we had we had both uh, people asking for some examples and i think we've given some there um but there's also a range of things that uh, that, that people are using um a range of the look at a lot of the software apps i've been spending the last five years yelling about but um they're probably they're probably not not too bad to use during this sort of situation but things like educa yeah. and seesaw i think it's, it's probably a good segue though to talk about one of the things that i'm interested in is that we because of the necessity of this is that we are going to have to do this quite quickly and we are going to have to figure out particular ways of working without say a nice six month lead up time to develop nice you know policies and procedures i know that's a big thing for leanne and lisa you must be terrified that we're going to have to do a lot of this stuff without a nice policy sitting behind it but i guess as, as a group if we could think about what you know i i think there is no reason to do it without a policy <laughs> no, it's you too, can whip up a no, policy not enough time quickly. not enough time lisa sorry we're not doing we're not doing policy no so, no, Lisa, I'm really sorry. It's an yeah, emergency situation. Right one for <laughs> <laughs> um, But maybe if we think less about the sort of the the technicalities of it, but I'm I've been interested in thinking about with my colleagues what are the principles of working with children and families remotely. So what would we say are maybe they might be ethical principles, they might be behavioural principles. But if um, and I might turn to maybe you first, Martha. I think I picked on Joe first for the last couple of times. But you know, is that something you've been thinking about, or do you have that thinking as part of your work? Work with the discovery space, but are there? Are they, do you reckon there are some principles we should start thinking about in terms of working with children and families in this way? Yeah, I think. I mean, obviously, if you're asking children to uh, engage with technology, it depends what kind of technology you're using. If it, if it's an app or something that's safe in terms of they're not putting any of their data in there. But if you're on a, I mean, even something as simple as what we're doing and asking children to upload photos of themselves or um, the work that they've done, as long as they're like, because then that could be in terms of they could be uploading images of themselves, um, which could lead to um, privacy issues, I suppose, later down the track. So I think there's things that you definitely need to be considerate in terms of whether parents are happy with this kind of um, 
like asking of this information because then also the child doesn't want to be the only one not participating because their parent doesn't want their face on Facebook or, or, or whatnot. So I think it needs to be considered absolutely. Can it still be done? Absolutely. I think it can be done too. Um, you know, simple things, um, there's um, – like I know an app that we use is um, just identifying, I'm thinking of ones that we use in the space, um, is identifying birds. And it's a it's just the Aussie backyard bird count. And it's a way of getting the children outside um, and identifying different birds in the space, uh, in their space, and working out which birds they are. They can then find a bit more detail about those particular birds. So it's whilst they're still using it, a screen or technology, they are outside in their environment, in their backyard, obviously 1.5 metres apart and all that, um, but so that they are um, still using it in a way that, that is useful. Or another one that we do is uh, with a um, with identifying plants. So, again, they could do a similar thing around their garden and identify which plants are which, and it just sparks that curiosity or, or um, you know, that ability to go, oh, yeah, I, I can now identify these plants. But it's it's that sneaky learning where they, they don't know, like it's, it's a fun way of learning and it's a tool that they can see working in front of them and it doesn't require you know, as as Lisa was kind of saying, oodles of uh, it's it's right there. They just press a button and they can hover over the plant, and then it will identify it for them, or it might suggest it's one or two ways of the plant. So there's definitely ways you can use technology without it having to be about the child or uploading the child's face to the internet and and whatnot. Um, but I think there are also ways that you can you know if if you are doing that live streaming and, and or interaction between ch one child and five children um, and especially if that's remote trying to connect families to other families um, that you need to be aware of so that um, that their privacy is respected I think is important to consider absolutely wonderful thanks Joe is there anything you've been oh no Lisa yeah, you're leaving I... anything yeah, oh, I just said, <laughs> I always worry that people worry about that kind of stuff too much. And I'm the policy, you know, you've got to have policy for everything stuff. But, um, I, yeah, like people, there's lots of ways to, you know, um, uh, lots of ways to secure photos if, if kids are lo loading photos upline to you. Or lots of ways to you know make a, a Zoom chat a secure one. So yeah. I think that we're past the stage where we need to necessarily worry about you know what can happen to children online. As long as you know we we take as many privacy um, you know things as we can. Lisa, I disagree so strongly, but we are running out of time. So I'm going to go to... Gonna, we are definitely not past <laughs> oh, the... I can't wait to have that argument with we'll, you. We'll have it offline. I, I think we're not past that, but I think we're having to move so quickly into this space. I really doubt that people are thinking too too seriously about the privacy. So, but anyway, let, let's. I don't want to get too sidetracked. But um, yeah. Joe, yeah. did you have some thinking about some of the principles you're thinking about during this time? Well... Um, I, I'm sort of thinking about the opportunity that we have to engage families in the children's learning, um, in their home learning. So really promote that home learning environment by, yeah, facilitating engagement with their family, with their parent um, or their carer, um, which I think is a really unique opportunity um, that we have to promote that and to give them ideas about 
what they could do as far as and what's quality practice and pedagogy. So they they could um, yeah work alongside us. Um, and we also I think it's 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 um, worth noting too that we should really sort of work with families to you know set up some expectations as well when you're um, working with them um, online. And I'm not not completely talking about those safety issues that we just talked about, but more so in line with um, so supervision. So um, you know, because you want you want it to be an engaged. There will be time when when it will be lovely just to interact with the child, but um, you know you need to set up some expectations with the families to potentially have them you know within the room or so that they can also hear the, your practice and hear the questions that you're asking and the engagements too. They don't necessarily have to be there the whole time. But, um, yeah, being involved in the learning is what I'm trying to get Depending get upon the yeah. age of the child, obviously, right. if we're talking yeah. about a, yeah, a one-year-old, right. then they do need to be <laughs> there. Right. I'm more sort of thinking about a preschooler, but, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Like, it depends on the age of the child. But, yeah, that's what I was thinking as well. Leanne, are you, are you thinking about anything in terms of this engagement with setting the ground for, in, in terms of principles for remote learning? Yeah, in, in the absence of, thank you for asking, Liam, in the absence of uh, a, a policy, which um, Lisa and I are br briskly writing right now. We don't have time. Um, We've got to get I on to it. Sorry, there, people. There need to be, as you said, the principles. And I think what needs to be decided, and I think supervision might be something that, that people need to think about as well, because if they are engaging with children online, What's the agreement with the family? And what is it? You do not want to be sitting there seeing something unfold before your eyes yes. and not have the capacity yeah. to communicate with yeah. the family at the time. So some of those principles around that, how long is it going to go for? Those sorts of things. So everybody's clear on what the expectations are. And I think they're only simple and they might change as well. That could change a lot over time. But maybe just agreeing everybody how, these, how it's going to look how long it might go for, who's really in charge when you're um, yeah. working with that child at home. Um, and, you know, when it's time to end, how do you then bring the adult back in if they have, if they've, if they've walked away to do something or whatever? So I just think that there's some of those just simple, you know, important yeah. things that you need to resolve before you begin. I also think the other thing is, is that, you need to look at the time frame that this might be going for. So do we actually need to do complete educational stuff at this point in time? Again, I'll give you a story. Someone, an educator today or a service owner actually wanted to talk about an advocacy thing and, I, and that's why she contacted me. She was put on by someone else, you know, and as we we're talking, I realised that that actually wasn't what she needed to talk about at all. She needed to express grief about something that was happening in her community. And I think that educators work with families as much as with children. It may only be in that five minutes of drop-off or five minutes of pick-up, but you do a lot of supporting um, families. And you need to you know, continue that role. So mm. the first few weeks of this might just be how are you managing stuck in that apartment with your two toddlers and toddlers, how are you managing being stuck in that apartment with mum and dad? Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But, but for me, yeah, you know, as a teacher, yeah. I, w- I would link all that back to the early years learning framework. So I think one of the great start. So I think, you know, we're, we're hearing news article after news article about primary schools and secondary schools preparing for online learning. Although I think it, if on first glance, it looks like we're at a disadvantage here because how do you take, you know, that play-based meaningful engagement that takes place in a physical space and move that into the online realm? One of the huge advantages I think we have if we if we flip it around and say, well, actually, because we don't formal, you know, the, the formal schooling isn't what's taking place in the work we do. It is play-based. It is about interactions and engagements with children and that can look really different but if we bring you know all that back to the early years learning framework lisa you know that story you know you were just telling i'm thinking so much about a child's sense of identity i'm thinking about a child's sense of well-being you know there's teaching and learning that can take place there that isn't formal sort of instructional learning but it is about building those relationships and engagement i want to um pick up on a point uh this we're, we're all having far too much fun we're now 45 minutes into this and i still have several dot points to get to um and then lisa and leanne need to go and write a policy for for um, appropriate engagement with remote learning um is there one of and this is one of the questions we had from social media as well um is that concept of professional personal boundaries um we talk about a lot of the we, we i talk about a lot of this in my in my work role about how you know limiting engagement with social media between families and educators those kind of things we're kind of crossing a line here saying well we're we're actually now starting to plan for you know educators to be involved in a more personal way in a, in a child and family's life at home is there a risk boundaries might be crossed and, and what what would be the the boundaries of this kind of work i might throw that open for the first person who can who can get in mm. <laughs> no pressure <laughs> well, obviously we don't I have think... the answers do we <laughs> joe I was just going to say, I think like, um, sorry, there is a, that's okay. There is a chance for it to be a crossing a line, but at the same time, we're professionals, educators. So I think we can take that they would also be professional in their terms in, in on online presence. So, um, yeah, I, I think we need to trust that our educators are professionals and, and should be able to, and would, I would assume could be would be a professional on the social media platforms as well. Okay, so worst scenario, what happens, you, you know, you log on to a session with your children and you realise mum has and, and the child both have a, you know, fresh bruises on their body, on their face. What happens? I think the same thing that... It happens if they turned up to school or preschool uh, with the bruises. Absolutely. And I think that that's what, you know, that's what the answer is for a lot of these things. You don't give away your practice or not, you know, follow your stuff just because it's happening in a different space. Setting. You know? Yes. Whatever. So, Lisa, are you saying that maybe people, they're feeling like this, this different space that they're in is going to change what they would do. So Martha immediately says, well, you just do what they were going to do if they turned up at preschool like that. But are you feeling like maybe people wouldn't think that as immediately? Uh, yes, I think that people would would feel, you know, concerned because they're invading someone's home space or something. But it, it you know, the rules still apply you know and like that's a maybe I used an extreme example but 
you know. Um, Do you know what it's funny? It's funny. I'm bizarrely. I'm less concerned about the extreme examples because I think they're actually clear cut. I'm what I'm more interested in, and, and Martha, I think that's such a great point. I think we have to trust the professionalism of educators. What what interests me in this is that this, this is uncharted territory. So this isn't work where we okay. have a a built up sort of code of ethics, or we have a built up sort of. Um, you know, layer of professional engagement around particular work in a, in a physical space where children come to us. So, and I'm trying to think of what well, I'm far more interested in kind of the murky examples. So maybe something might be like, um, you know, a family that's saying, oh, look, we can't do it at this particular time. Can we do it later tonight? Can we do it at something like 7.30? Or um, can I talk to you when the children, uh, um, you know, have gone to bed? I've got other things I want to discuss with. I think there are murkier examples because we're projecting into people's homes. I think there are, I'm far more interested in the less extreme and maybe less less uh, harmful to particular children in the moment, but where personal and professional lines can be blurred because we're kind of in people's homes. Well, I think it's it's all about setting up some professional boundaries um, yeah. with that, um, and just making sure that you know it's obviously in work hours, um, and yeah, so setting up and going back to a, a point that I made earlier about sort of setting up some expectations about what like some joint expectations, so expectations of the educator, expectations that the parents might have. Um, so this shared sort of responsibility and um, an understanding about what the, the, the space, this new space entails, I guess. Absolutely. You're well, saying we need a policy, yeah. Joe. <laughs> That's what you're telling us. <laughs> well, that could be Liam, 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 guess what? I just remembered. I've written a whole brochure on this. Oh, of course you have. It's not a policy, but it's a brochure. I wrote a brochure called Boundary Setting for In-Home Care Educators, and it's for those educators that actually are working in someone's home. But um, it a lot of, if I'm remembering everything that I put in there, a lot of it still applies as well. So... We might actually link to that in the show's show notes, um, you know, but I basically said that you need to, I'll, I'll just read you a bit, you need to remember that you're the professional in the situation. Mm, yeah. Family members may choose to normalise the situation by making you into a friend. You may feel more comfortable being in someone's house by becoming their friend. The children may treat you as a de facto parent. Um, because you are the professional, you need to set the limits. So, yeah. I think Maybe you could rebadge re that because there's some really good stuff in there, Lisa. Yeah. I wonder if that could um, be shared more broadly. Um, yes, I could ask the client that I did that for. <laughs> the sector would be very grateful. Um, just being aware time is ticking on. I think there's a there's a couple of other points I wanted to hit before we um, lose uh, Martha and Joe's expertise. One of the things I think from a social justice perspective that we have to consider is the potential um, sort of digital or technological disadvantage that particular children and families, uh, you know, yes. may face. So, and again, I don't yes. think I don't think there's I don't think there's an answer to this question, but how can we, you know, how can we, how do we at least approach that going into it? What, what should we be thinking about in terms of knowing that some families won't have access to a tablet or they might have one tablet between, you know, five members of the family? Um, how can we start thinking about trying to make sure we're inclusive as we start thinking about, you know, moving to this very different way of working? 
Liam, I, I agree, and this is something that um, we've been talking a lot about at Early Start as well in various various places. And there's two components to this. One is that the that the equipment they may not have people may not have the equipment for a start, but secondly, um, may not be able to use it um, to that allows them to use it to this capacity. So there's two two components of it, or may not wish to as well. I mean, there's some there's uh, in some families there's a, a wish to not bring um, this technology into the family and to to be free of it. And I I don't really know the answer to it, but I just wonder whether um, there's a possibility of someone very, very rich giving away these to um, lots of people. That's, that's <laughs> my solution. <laughs> Your solution is Clive Palmer helping us out, Leanne. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm worried. I'm worried. <laughs> Please, I, just have to say, I have to say right now that these are not the views of early start, by the way. <laughs> we'll just take that disclaimer as read. Um, Joe or Martha, do you have any, you know, or maybe you know Martha in terms of your work with the the, the uh, discovery space? Is that something that's been a consideration of that that work? Yeah, I think we definitely want to be able to, like, I mean, part of early start is to be reaching the remote and rural locations, and I think this is it is a hard a hard one because Leanne's pretty much said it all there in terms of some people don't have access to this. So even if we've got the best resources available, if you don't have a tablet or the internet or the wish or the desire to to get these things, how do we get those um, resources out? And so, I mean, we've looked at doing um, some outreach, so actually physically going out to some of these places. But again, that's only going to be reaching a, a smaller number of people. I mean, it's still better than than the no people, but um, I think it's definitely something that we do need to consider. And I, I we don't have the answer yet, but I, I it is something that's definitely in our in our thoughts. And um, and yeah, short of getting a huge donation, I'm not sure yet uh, how we we get that unless it is to go out. And I know like um, and Joe can probably talk more about this, but she's connected to those um, different services, and part of their work is to go out and see those um, services. And maybe it's making that connection whilst we're at that one service, we can also adapt a few more of the um, community that are there um, and the discovery space team could be partnered up with the engagement centre team, which we have done. Uh, we did a couple last year, actually, which worked out well um, to be able to just physically take something out to the children and have that engagement in because they haven't got the resources there. Yeah, and then you've also got the, the added consideration of the uh, navigating through the time that we're going through as well with social distancing and the, the sure. challenges that that involves as well so it's a tricky one and I don't yeah uh, it's something that we certainly need to consider because quite a number of the services that we work with at early start are from disadvantaged areas and and do have quite a population of disadvantaged families so it's certainly something that we need to really um, consider. Absolutely and I think for me considering is part of the battle. I think we also need to be right. uh, make sure we're um, 
uh, you know, going not going easy on ourselves, but giving ourselves a break. This situation is happening really quickly, and services and educators and professionals are going to have to respond uh, really quickly. So, but as long as we're having these considerations of social justice, yeah. I think that that's a really good start. Um, it kind of also yeah. circles back to me something I was thinking about at the start of the conversation was obviously the difference between the broadcasting model versus the sort of meaningful relationship engagement model. But I, I do probably maybe want to say before you know we wrap up the episode, and I have one more point to raise is that I, it, we should say it's probably okay if, if broadcasting is how you start then then that's okay and that might be something that then leads into more meaningful mm-hmm. engagement but if all you can do at the start is the broadcasting stuff i wouldn't want people going away going you know they're not doing the right thing or they're, or they're missing out on oh, stuff. Of I think yeah sure people and are yeah I, yeah i know i came across a bit hard about that <laughs> yeah <laughs> i think Look, yeah I just quickly throw in there though that there's another thing that's happening that I'm aware of that maybe people aren't aware of quite so much is that families are being pounded with content from everyone. It's not mm. just, yeah. you know, they're getting a whack yeah. from their schools if they've got older children and they're getting, yeah. you know, people are just suggesting things all the time to people. And I'm just, I think we could do a little bit of less of the, sending ideas to parents about things they can do with their children because some of us are lucky to get up in the morning and get through the day and not have too much food and wine in the day and that's about all we're managing at this point <laughs> yeah. in time. That's, a, that's such oh, a good I point. I just out myself there. Sorry. That's, yeah. that's such a good point, Lisa, and maybe it's just sort of stripping it back and giving the message from from the if you're connected to an early childhood education setting just give the message play is good do it make it simple children can children can play on their own they don't need to have um, engagement all the time with adults is a really good thing which Martha um, was very clear about with the bluey example and um, and that that's you know it's just the simple things if you have some simple play equipment at home use that this is okay and I think yeah. that's such a great point but I think everybody's just rushing to help everybody in this under these current circumstances aren't they they want to be so helpful we want to be helpful that's why we're doing this but kids kids know how to play and I think that's also important like whilst it is great to have that uh, adult engagement I think yeah as you said Leanne children can do it on their own and and I think parents need to be given that permission to almost have a break themselves in terms of, yes, you may have a list of things that the yeah. educator has given you, but that's not what you have to do. You have to let your yeah. child play. And I think yeah. that's important too. So, yeah. Absolutely. Well, I, I want to, think... oh, sorry. sorry. <laughs> oh, I was just going to add that, you know, it goes back to the, the original thing that we were talking about with relationships, building relationships, you know, um, giving ourselves permission to just have a chat um, and share and build those relationships. I think that's right, Joan. That's a perfect segue to the final point, just as we wrap up with our uh, bare few remaining minutes, is uh, we've obviously talked a lot about children and families tonight, but really what we're talking about is educators and professionals. They're the ones who are going to be, uh, you know, running and, and creating these amazing, innovative things that we'll be talking about for the next 20 years. So I want to sort of finish by saying how we've talked a lot about how we can engage with children and families during this time. How can we also make sure that teams continue to work together um, in, in, 
particular ways? How can we make sure educators um, say, uh, you know, stay connected as a team? Um, are there particular ways we can use either the existing technologies um, that that we've sort of already talked about, but you know, or even you know, we're all sort of facing this as we go through it now. Are there are particular things that we're we're doing ourselves to make sure we're engaged. We we remain engaged with our teams. Yeah, we're all sort of navigating this um, this way together. Um, and I know for myself, being a very social, um, outgoing, uh, bubbly person, um, myself and needing connections, um, that, that's what fills my bucket, connecting with people. So working from home has been, has been a bit of a struggle for me and what, what's helped me is, um, you know, connecting through technology and, um, and seeing people's faces rather than just and I think that's that's the key too, rather than just picking up the phone and talking, actually engaging with each other and seeing each other's faces. And we can do that through the use of these um, this technology. You know? So I think that's helped me. And I think um, it's giving, giving centres opportunities to engage with each other in ways that they don't normally have time to do. Um, so really utilising the time to connect with each other. And it doesn't necessarily mean that, they, they have to plan this substantial um, policy or, um, you know, plan what they're doing. It can just be a matter of connecting and catching up in a, in a social space through using technology, which is, is really important for everybody's mental health. So, um, and that's going to potentially make us the be best, um, you know, ed educators keep, keep us going as the best educators that we can be if we're looking after us, our own mental health in the process. So I think that's really important. Mm, yeah, online online cuppers. Yes, morning tea. Which we've we've been having a lot of those, Leanne. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm yeah. loving it. We have an online <laughs> an online morning tea. Can I just point out that Liam, you and I and Leanne only ever have a digital relationship. I think I've only ever seen <laughs> I've seen you two, you know, like two or three times in the past four years, you know, oh. but. It's not quite and that, that that's, that's more than enough. <laughs> <laughs> she said she only wanted to see us face to face four or five times. We but keep going to her house. She just tells us to go away. <laughs> but what we do have is we have a like use a particular form of communication that since um uh, uh, we've been all absolutely locked up in our houses we just have it open all the time and send messages to each other throughout the day and that's certainly kept me sane over the last few weeks and I yeah. suspect it's kept it's either driven you to insane or kept you sane as well it's hard to know but that's <laughs> something that you can set up through things like messenger or email or twitter dms or what however you want to do it you know, but just being able to pop whatever thoughts you want into that at any time. And it doesn't mean the other people have to respond to it, but when they need a break, they can go back and read the thread and then, you know, interject what they want. Mm. Mm. I think the other thing that might is supporting is, is um, I suppose, sharing resources as well. Like if you're all in that same scope of trying to find what's best to share rather than everyone and each individual trying to recreate everything but having that and as we've said earlier in that they've just been bombarded with all the same sort of thing or different things in different ways 
but actually having that, that online sharing so that people can use each other's work rather than having to because that's a big a big um, part of their work would be to to create all these new resources and maybe we don't need to create it all maybe we could be just sharing the the great ones and and you know building up that that space as well you know that's another way of I think supporting is I mean obviously the mental side and being connected in this time is is important but also trying to take off some of that extra stress or or you know if someone is struggling with the technology you know lending that hand to to be that person to help I think is also important. Yeah, fantastic. Um, and there's there's one thing that I just wanted to quickly, because I've been thinking about it a bit, um, is that we a lot of what we're talking about is we're thinking about a family who attends preschool and, the, you know, they have a, a space at home, they have a good space where they can do these things. Um, I just, we, we'll probably have to do a whole other episode, I think, but thinking about families with children with inclusion needs, um, families whose first language is not English, the digital disadvantage that we've mentioned, um, the things we've been talking about have been where families are probably more set up to do this. So I just want to make mention of mm. that and we can follow it up with 45 episodes in the next few weeks. <laughs> <laughs> at least, at least. Well, I this we've kept... Um, We've, we've kept you all up way too too late. We record these, of course, at night. So big thanks to Joe and Martha for joining us um, tonight. It's been a really fantastic discussion. Well, thanks for having sure. us. Thanks for having us. Thank you. You have been listening to The Early Education Show. You can find show notes and links for this episode and all our other episodes at earlyeducationshow.com. The show is hosted by Lisa Bryant, Leanne Gibbs and Liam McNicholas and produced by Liam McNicholas. The music is by Jazar at betterwithmusic.com. Please subscribe, rate and review the show in the Apple Podcast Store. It really helps others find the show. Get in touch with us at Early Edu Show on Facebook and Twitter or send us an email at earlyedushow at gmail.com. See you next time.